0: Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith.
1: And we are back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And I am Tiffany Smith, your host, and I have two... Wonderful people on today, and that is uh, Sarah Holland and Beth Silvers. They are—they have a podcast called uh, Pantsuit Politics, and these two ladies talk about what's going on on the political spectrum. But they do it with grace and with civility and with thoughtfulness. And we could use a little bit of that around here. So, welcome, ladies. Thank Thank you you for having for having us. I, I had to have you on uh, when I when I saw your your book, uh, I just thought, hey, that's that's a, a catchy title and that's a an amazing premise uh, to to approach politics with. So, can you tell our listeners a little bit about it?
2: Well, our book was really a result of mm, probably about three years of work on our podcast. Uh, we started our podcast in 2015. We were sorority sisters from college, but um, we had not stayed close friends. We reconnected when we started having kids about birth, actually, and um, yes. <laughs> decided to do this, this podcast together because we really had good conversational flow, um, good connections, even though we saw the role of government differently. Um, Specifically, our personalities are very complementary. And often, you know, I think people treat politics as if it is this cold, rational analysis of policy. But the truth is, it is a lot about personality. Um, It's a lot about how you um, react to conflict and a lot about how you see the world. And there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in politics. And so I run a little hot. Beth runs a little cool. Um, And so that was always very complimentary, even from the beginning. And but I think, you know, over those first three years in particular, as we were processing the 2016 election, um, we learned a lot about ourselves and we learned about um, how talking politics with someone, even someone you don't know quite well, can be a form of connection instead of a form of disconnection. It doesn't always have to be so conflict ridden. It doesn't have to be um, a a way where we just we scream, no one gets heard and everybody leaves frustrated. Uh, We really wanted to present a different way. And as we did that over time, um, we worked through some sort of fundamental principles about how to do that. And um, like really, the first half of the book is about working on ourselves and just preparation with engaging with other people. I think that's some of the most valuable stuff in the book and the most valuable thing I personally learned in the first couple years of our politics is the weaknesses in the way that I um, saw myself, saw my position inside a political conversation, often saw a conversation as a debate instead of an opportunity to listen. And like all that internal work, um, we really tried to articulate in ways for other people to um, sort of walk that path we had in order to go out into the world to talk politics because we really think that is essential to the, the health of our democracy. We have to be able to talk to one another. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to engage about issues of concern in our communities, even issues we disagree with. And so that's what we really were trying to do in the book. We were trying to articulate what we learned in the hopes that other people would go out there
0: and engage. So the book, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening, is the title, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations, distills those 10 ideas of things that we're doing. But it is not like a hack your political conversations book. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have any shortcuts. We don't have any ways to get your uncle to agree with you, you know, after all this time. <laughs> and sometimes we tell people, if you see our book and you think, I know who needs that, it's probably you. Mm-hmm. You probably need it. Um, feel free to give it to that person as well and work your way through it together. But it it is a practice and it's something that I come back to all the time. In a lot of ways, having written this book, I think gives me a sense of accountability. Am I doing what I've asked other people to do? Am I continuing to cycle through these steps of self-reflection clarity about what motivates me giving grace when I find myself in difficult conversations Mm -hmm. with other people, um, keeping politics in its place in those relationships and just continuing to work through that through that cycle.
1: So for for you, Beth, and during this time where we see just this backlash happening against uh, conservatives, uh, what do you feel about what's happening right now?
0: Oh, I feel so many things. <laughs> you know, the first thing I will say is that a chapter of our book is called take off your jersey. Mm -hmm. And I have taken my jersey off because Mm -hmm. from the beginning of this presidency, I haven't felt that the Republican Party has very fairly represented my views in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm willing to step back from that instead of leaning in and saying, but that's my team and I have to stick with my team. Um, I want to be really principled and clear about what I think in the world and why. And so I I have just fully put down that party affiliation um, and consider myself a Democrat. Now I've registered as a Democrat to vote in Kentucky's primaries. Um, I don't know that I'll always be a Democrat and that's okay. I'm not putting on that Jersey either. I'm just Mm -hmm. trying to hold it all loosely and say what reflects the closest to my values I can get right now. I am sad that I have to distance myself so much from the Republican party right now. I am hopeful for election outcomes that will, with a really strong voice, demonstrate that we need a healthy conservative movement in the United States. But this conservative movement isn't very healthy. You know, the way Sarah and I break down our differences, our fundamental differences, are that we talk about like the accelerator and the brakes in a car Mm -hmm. when there is a big problem. Sarah is the accelerator on using the federal government as a problem solver. She says, we got a big problem. We got an entity that's really big and capable of big solutions. Let's use it.
2: Right.
0: And I am the brakes saying, what happens if we use it? Mm -hmm. There are lots of unintended consequences of that. There are ways that that could get into a situation of overreach that could leave some people behind because it's a big solution that doesn't fully think about where everyone is. When it comes to private industry, we flip. I say, let the market decide. People are mm-hmm. going to be motivated to make some money and coming up with a solution. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of good brains here, put them to work. Mm-hmm. And Sarah says, wait a second. Let's talk about what, that, what happens when that isn't regulated appropriately, when those money incentives get all wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we both belong in the car. And I firmly believe that, that America needs both of those perspectives and many others. And they all belong in the car. And you can't simultaneously be slamming down both and expecting to go anywhere, which is what Congress looks like a lot, right? Mm -hmm. My maximum and your maximum applied together. And so we stall out. So it's finding that balance of, here's where my idea belongs and yours and where that leads us in a healthy direction with some give and take that we're really looking for. And unfortunately, that's just not where we are with the two-party system right now. And so the best that I can do is try to have integrity and be honest about that instead of mm-hmm. hanging on to my team mm-hmm. and saying what gets us closer to that vision. And that's the way I'm going to vote and orient myself right now. What has can I, going? can I say something? Sure.
2: That question is not often directed at me because nobody really wants to hear a Democrat since the age of 18 talk about the future of the Republican party. <laughs> um, But I do want to say that I would not have answered this way even two years ago. Um, But I am very sad about the state of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Um, Through the course of our work, I I have realized that it is essential that we have two functioning parties. Because Mm -hmm. when the other side feels that they cannot win fairly, they cheat. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that people have to feel like they can win and have access to power. Now, you know what I would say is the the reason that uh, you're being locked out is because you're not shifting your policy to meet the problems of America. But I still feel like that approach, um, the people at the table, even if they're in the minority, saying, "But wait, hold on. But wait, what about what about the size of government? What about all the ways that government has failed us in the past? What about the people who are very concerned about?" um the the burden of taxes, even on the top 1%. Like I'm not trying to make um conservative ideology illegal or to silence it. I think it is essential for our democracy. And I think that the Democratic Party is someone who's, you know, that is that is for better or for worse my team and has been for a long time. Like it's not built to hold everyone from lifelong Republicans who just don't want to vote for Trump to like Bernie Sanders. That is an <laughs> incredibly large political spectrum that is being asked. One party is being asked to hold. Um, and I don't think that's good for our, our democracy either. I think we function best with a healthy party system. I'm not going to say two party because I'm not locked into that number. I'm more than <laughs> happy for there to be more parties. But, you know, I just think that that is not good for us, even um, though I disagree vehemently, even with, you know, sort of the old school established Republican approach from 20 years ago, I still don't think it's healthy to just have one ideology um, that's really ruling the day. So, I mean, I just, you know, again, that's not question is not often directed at me. And I, but I think there's a sense that like, if you are a Democrat, you should just be dancing with glee um, right now, with maybe the, the turn the parties are taking, and I don't, I don't do that. I feel like we really need people. There needs to be a spectrum. There needs to be two parties, um, at least, and two healthy parties. And I, you know, I'm sad that, that that's not what we have right now.
1: Thank you so much for saying that, uh, Sarah. And I just want my listeners to uh, take heed and, and come back. We're we're um, We've, we're at the end of this segment, and I thank you uh, for listening and come back for the next segment where we'll talk a little bit more with Sarah and with Beth about what's happening right now in our political system. Because we are experiencing a time where um, it's difficult, but there's more to it than just uh, digging in our heels. We Americans are better than some of the things we see happening right now. And uh, these ladies are a good example of that. So come on back and let's talk some more. Let's be candid. We have to have these these difficult conversations, but it's out of this that the best things happen. So come back. You're listening to On the Record with Tiffany. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister? Is your brother? Is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with On the Record with Tiffany, and I'm here with Sarah Holland and Beth Silvers. Um, Sarah will you tell you know we didn't even get to tell our audience a little bit about you two and your backgrounds like wh- what what's your political background I mean we already know that you're a democrat but but tell us a little bit about who you've worked with and and how the two of you I know you're sorority sisters but but tell us about your political background and what has you Well
2: I am a, a, what I would describe as a political rat in the truest sense of the word. Politics has always been really, really interesting and important to me and something that I was passionate about, even as a little girl. I was a political science major in college. I went to law school in Washington, D.C., at American um, University's Washington College of Law. I worked on campaigns. I worked on Hillary Clinton's 2007 presidential campaign. I worked on in the United States Senate for Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey Um, then I moved back to my hometown when I started a family with my husband and ran for office myself after we started paying politics and served a single term on my, uh, city's commission. It's a nonpartisan two year term. I learned a whole, whole, whole lot that I could never have learned in DC serving on that commission seat. Um, and so politics has always been, um, something that is, is really at the center of my life. um, I think that people are endlessly fascinating, and politics is really about people and about power, and how people respond to power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so um, that was always something that, even when I was primarily a stay-at-home mom and raising kids, I was had a mommy blog, and I would write about stroller reviews, and then I would write about the Syrian civil war. I did not <laughs> care. Like I just, I find the stuff really interesting. Um, and so being able to talk about politics. Um, as a job is is really a dream
1: come true. That is pretty cool. So Beth, how did you end up, uh, y'all being sorority sisters is one thing, but what would make you go, yeah, sure. I want to open my <laughs> life up to talking about politics. <laughs> it's
0: a good question that I frequently ask myself. I, I have a very different... Very different or even Sarah, you know, she said our personalities are complementary, but like that has infused lots of our lives to, to take different choices and different routes. So um, I come from more of a business background. I practiced mm-hmm. law for six years. I was a, a human resources executive for five years within a law firm. Um And when I came into connection with Sarah again after college, we hadn't seen each other in 13 years when we started the podcast. Um, I was following that mommy blog of hers. I (laughs) thought it was really fun that she would roll from stroller to Syria. Um, I was interested (laughs) in the ideas that she was sharing. And I was interested in the fact that sometimes... Um, I would hear those kind of Democratic Party traces, but that there was more than that, that it wasn't just party talking points. And that's what kind of kept me engaged, because I've always, even when I identified as a Republican, I wasn't a very good Republican. I've never been a good (laughs) right? I wasn't a good Baptist growing up. I wasn't a good Republican. Like I always have a little bit of softness around my positions. And so I thought I was interested in engaging with her. And I reached out uh, while I was on parental leave and said, would you ever want a guest post with some mm-hmm. different perspective on the political topics that you're sharing about? Because I am not a political rat. I am a news addict. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love knowing what's going on in the world. My parents instilled that in me deeply. So I just sort of chase news all the time and was interested in having this this dialogue with Sarah through her blog. So I wrote a couple of posts for her and she reached out to me and said, would you ever be interested in starting a podcast? This was 2015. I was um, very immersed in my work at the time and not very tech savvy. And so I said, I don't know what a podcast is, but I'm happy to discuss it and we started talking (laughs) about it. And I don't know what made me say yes, because honestly, I am a pretty private person. I'm very introverted. Um, Someone asked me once, what made you think people would care what you have to say? And I don't know what the answer to that is. And I can't think about that too much or I really get in my head. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was just kind of one of those moments where something in me said, just give this a shot. Mm -hmm. And we started talking and our first phone call, Sarah stopped after an hour and said, we're not going to do this unless we're recording. Uh, Because we have we have a good flow, we have good chemistry, we have good things to say. And I think what has kept me doing it is not um, the response to it as much as the fact that I still learn something when I talk to Sarah, I learn Mm -hmm. something about myself, I get clear on what I think, I can feel myself growing and stretching. And that's what I want to always do. And Mm -hmm. this has just given me a chance to be a lifelong learner in a format that I never could have envisioned for myself, but in one that, that I know makes me a better human being. I'd like to add to like, what we
2: always say is these conversations can really help you grow. And it, you know, listening to, to Beth talk, it is so true that if, No matter if we had encountered the same success, if I felt like um, when I was sitting down to talk to Beth that she was just parroting talking points or trying to convince me or that I did not feel that she was trying to connect with me, I wouldn't have stuck with it. I had a Mm -hmm. lot of points in my career that I did not stick with because I have a short attention span and high confidence and I just don't have a lot of patience for things that I don't want to spend my life on. Mm -hmm. Um, for a lot of reasons, psychological and otherwise. And, you know, I just think, you know, people say all the time, like, how do you do it? How do you talk politics? How do you talk news? It's so stressful. It's so anxiety ridden. And I always say, because I'm not just talking it, I'm processing it with someone I trust. That's what these conversations can do. Like they can honestly be a source of connection and anxiety reduction because you're in with someone who is in it with you. And there is, connection and trust and you can be vulnerable and you can say I'm really scared about this and they can say I am too or actually I think this is a reason not to be scared or Mm -hmm. I think we're just going to have to keep moving forward no matter what like those those are life-giving like that is truly like the most it's so hard to convey to someone but until you experience it but it is such a powerful experience to just be in it with another person and, and then be able to share what you're scared about learn from them and have that connection, especially in the, something as, in the face of something as fraught as our current political environment.
1: I mean, think about our current political environment and the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, as you all are doing this, what has been your feeling about the pandemic and the politics? Like we hear all the, like, as it relates to the politics, because it, it's just been uh, a nightmare.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I
0: think that... Um, I something, heard that. Something mm-hmm. that <laughs> the thing we keep coming back to is that the pandemic has more clearly than any um, speech or long read, or a politician shined light on the breakdown in our political systems, the breakdown nice. in our civic spheres, the breakdown in our institutions, the the way that we are stuck in so many um, attitudes that are harmful and destructive, mm-hmm. the way that we are too comfortable in our lives when things are falling apart around us. And so Certainly the pandemic has created some new problems, but much more than that, it has just exposed in such stark terms, our existing problems. Mm-hmm. And I hope that if something can come of the pandemic, I would never have chosen to learn this way. And I don't see this as like silver lining. I never mm-hmm. want to have that tone about it. Yeah, no. But if we can take this horror and from it, recognize that we need to build some new democratic infrastructure and Mm -hmm. some new civic muscles and some new educational underpinnings of how we understand each other. Um, That gives me some hope.
1: I I share your, your uh, opinion that we have to, we have to make some changes Uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you see things like the healthcare crisis that's happening uh, because of the pandemic and all of our underlying conditions, then you know that we have to make some major changes. Um, when I was uh, about 10 years ago, I weighed 340 pounds and uh, lost 187 pounds. It took me like two and a half years to lose the 187 um but the change that has to occur inside of a person that is a, a mental change it's not just oh you stop eating bonbons you, you like literally have to undertake uh, a change in in uh, personal ethos and you have to uh do some serious self-examination like I unplugged from television for three and a half years thinking that when I started, I thought I was going to unplug for like six months, but but it was like, ended up being three and a half years. And anyway, I say that to say you, what we're experiencing right now, it feels like that. Like you, like we have to make major changes and it is going to take some digging down and looking at the ugly scabs and (laughs) figuring out who we want to be, you know, because we obviously haven't grown up in some of the ways we need to grow up. Um, Oh, well, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say we're on the record with Tiffany, with uh, Beth and Sarah and uh, the two, Two hosts of the podcast Pantsuit Politics, and we will be back for another segment. I want my listeners to pay attention. This is this may be difficult, but guys, we have to we have to think about who we are and what we want to be and where we want to go from here. And uh, we can't just just get on get in our corners and uh, yell and spew at one another. Vitriol is not the way to go. So let's come back, let's listen, and let's talk openly. You're listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And we're back with On the Record with Tiffany. And I have uh, Beth and Sarah from Pantsuit Politics, uh, two ladies who have differing uh, opinions about our political system. I want to ask you about social injustice, as you, um, as you see it, uh, because we, I, I really never thought we would see what we have uh, in the last six months. Uh, so, for you, Sarah, when you saw the the uh, the George Floyd uh, incident. When that happened, those eight minutes and 46 seconds, how did that sort of bring home what's going on here to you?
2: The murder of George Floyd, I think, is a trauma that will take generations for this country to heal from. Mm -hmm. Not because um, it was a unique circumstance in America, Mm -hmm. But because it revealed the um, incredible and heartbreaking tragedy in such a human way. Um, You know, it's really interesting because I think you can see two sides of the same coin in 2020 with both the pandemic and this racial reckoning that we are facing The pandemic, because as Beth was talking, I was thinking, you know, we've had tragedies in this country, but I don't think any since probably World War II that touched the life of every single American. And whether or not you know someone infected with COVID-19 or you refuse to wear a mask, you don't know anybody, you you don't see it, you refuse to wear a mask, you have been affected by the pandemic. And I think in such an um, interesting way, George Floyd and that that racial reckoning that we are that we are facing is like the flip. It's instead of universal, it is that video is so intimate and individual that it reveals the universal. Right. Because you watch that man leave this earth. And in such a painful and heartbreaking tragic, criminal way. And so I, I think the way that that rocked everyone, even the people who think that they that it's just bad apples and, and, you know, are black and indigenous and browns, brothers and sisters are not treated any differently than white people like even even no matter how you tried to come to Jesus with that video, like everybody saw it, right? Everybody understands what happened in that moment as far as that individual life that is no longer here. And I think like we are just, it, it felt so impactful in those first few weeks after the video with the marches and with all these other stories coming to national consciousness. You know, I'm not going to say, every, every, many people have been aware for, you know, they already knew about the stories of Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery and all these names that we live with and that we say out loud. But it, it felt intense and it continues to feel intense. But I don't think we've even begun to see the impact of I think about every, you know, sort of young person coming to consciousness, college students, like people who are seeing this and it is forming their very identity about what the system of justice is like in this country or the people having their own individual circumstances that's forming that identity. And I just think we are, we are just at the very, um, beginning. And what I hope is that it's not just consciousness because I think consciousness is essential. I think that was a huge leap forward for everyone's consciousness as far as racial injustice and the need for social justice. But what I really hope is that we are moving past consciousness into action and into reformulating our systems and, and finding justice for every citizen beyond um, cultural changes or societal ideas. I think those are essential and important, but I'm ready for systemic changes so that we can get closer to that American idea that all men are created equal.
1: I love that. Uh, what what was your take on this, Beth? Because at the time you were uh, still uh, a, were you still a Republican at that time when,
0: when, No, no, I changed my party registration when the president was speaking about United States Representatives Omar and Tlaib um, Mm -hmm. and mentioned that they should go back to where they came from and no Republicans in Congress spoke out against that. That was for me the point where I thought we have a we have such a blatant problem here within the party. And, and this really connects to my reaction to George Floyd's murder as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a middle class white lady who has always mm-hmm. voted Republican. And I think underlying my life has been an assumption that I've never stated for myself, but that has had to be there that at least, um, the forms of racial animus that I learned about in school were gone. Mm-hmm. And we have traces of racism, sure. But nobody really intends it, and we're working on it. And I think what the past several years have revealed to me, and I am ashamed that it had to be revealed in the ways that it's had to, is that that's just not true. When you watch the George Floyd video, and I'm so sorry for everyone who loves him, that Mm -hmm. that video has had to be what it is in our national consciousness. What an, mm-hmm. what an unfair dimension to their grief. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you watch the video, you cannot comfort yourself that if there are traces of racism, it's unintentional. I mean, there is such a deliberate devaluing of George Floyd's life happening, mm-hmm. not just by the person who took his life, but by the officers who were there with him. Mm-hmm. and I don't know how to tell my daughters about the country they live in when there's a video of a police officer deliberately killing a man over eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, is just an unforgivable sin of our country that, that has been worked on so many lives where there weren't cell phones capturing it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that the big lesson for me um, politically has been that I can I can have all kinds of thoughts about how government works best, and I do. Um, and also, I cannot get to those thoughts until we address whether every person in this country is treated as an equal citizen and their lives are valued equally and they are respected and their dignity is upheld. Um, and that requires me to put aside differences that I have about economic policy or something um, and lean into racial justice work and lean into um, the poverty that continues to be an embarrassing blight on our country, the addiction that we that we deal with, all the things that I would have said, well, our hearts are in the right place on this. and We've got to just keep working at it. Um, you know, I, I minimized too much in my political consciousness, and I'm sorry for that. Um, and it's something that I will be um, working on for the rest of my life i think
1: as we as we move into this election what what do you see as uh, what should happen in in uh, the first hundred days of of the next presidency no matter who who ends up Winning what, what would you want to see happen?
2: I think that is a very big question. I am glad there are literal teams of people um, I know. <laughs> working that are in it. charge of this. Um, you know, I would hope that no matter who wins, that there will be a focus on um, uniting the country. I'm going to be honest mm-hmm. and vulnerable that I, that I think we've seen from four years that, Is not a priority of the Trump administration. So let me just speak to what I hope a Biden administration will do. I hope that there will be an emphasis on reconciliation. I hope that there will be a very purposeful effort. Um, You know, whatever investigations or um, accountability that um, people in Congress or others um, feel is necessary, I hope that there is a deliberate effort Um, to keep the White House in particular out of those, um, out of those actions. And what I mean is like, I hope that there are commissions and I hope that um, maybe there are congressional investigation, but I hope that the president um, and the administration really stays out of it. I think that would be enormously um, helpful to everyone as we try to, to move past Um, the the really um, intense last four years. I think there needs to be a priority obviously on a national um, strategic and coordinated federal response to the coronavirus Mm -hmm. instead of just punting to the states and I think that there needs to be accelerated attention to our our criminal justice system and the climate change. It's a big long list. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to even think what should you focus on first,
0: honestly.
1: You know, i to my listeners I say we're once again, we are more alike than we are different, and unification for mm-hmm. this nation is imperative. Digging in our heels and arguing and fighting uh and acting like this solutions, like wearing your mask and socially distancing and uh following what the science says about a pandemic. We we have to all be of one accord on that. Mm-hmm. So that we can get rid of uh, what is a microscopic, microscopic predator that we're dealing with right now, and we should we should be <laughs> theoretically focused on that and focused on everyone's health mm-hmm. because it's such an important matter. And you you have nothing if you don't don't have your health. I mean that is mm-hmm. that is essential to us as humans. So come back. We have we have one more segment with uh Sarah and with Beth and I just want to talk to them a little bit about our November third election that's coming up and uh all of the excitement because there's so so many people out and voting and you know our our nation is coming together in, in the sense that we are we are realizing our power as mm-hmm. people. So uh I and I'm excited to see uh the youth empowered and and uh folks talking about about what's next. So uh, come on back and uh, keep listening. Uh, Whether you agree or disagree, it's time for us to listen to one another. Ladies, we're approaching the big day and we're seeing record numbers of Americans coming out and voting. As we see this, what are you experiencing with the, what's your demographic for Pantsuit Politics? Is it mainly women? What's your demographics there?
0: Yeah, I would say mostly women. We have some very dedicated male listeners, mm-hmm. but we, when we make this show, we think about women who are like us, You know, women who are mm-hmm. raising families mm-hmm. and working and trying to make their communities as strong and vibrant as they can be.
1: So as you're looking at the ladies uh, and gentlemen that are, that are your listeners, what are they saying to you about this current political environment?
2: That it's not working and they want something different. <laughs> I mean, I think that's why they listen to our show is because we try to present a very different type of conversation that's not um, a, a debate where people just talk at each other about the mm-hmm. sort of partisan talking, po- politi- talking points or pretend that one side has really a monopoly on what is true or right. Um, and I think we see people really Fundamentally reevaluating their own politics, Mm -hmm. the issues that animate them, um, because every like, you know, I think so many people are really um, frustrated and heartbroken and ready Mm -hmm. for a much, much, much um, different approach to politics, not just how we talk about it, but how we really operate inside our political system.
1: When when you see the frustration and the heartbreak, do you also see some hope in that?
0: It- oh, yes, for sure. I think one of the biggest things that we hear, too, is that um, our listeners have a real understanding that it's not like uh, we elect Joe Biden as president and everything is fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people really understand that U.S. politics did not get where we are in four years and it will not be out of it in four years. And that it is also not all at the national level, that some of the best, most effective, quickest change can happen in our local communities. And so what gives me so much hope is our listeners are not only voting, but they're finding ways to get involved. And for some of them, that's running for office or volunteering Mm -hmm. with campaigns. But for others, it's just having more challenging conversations in their Mm -hmm. workplaces than they've had before or getting involved with a local nonprofit because an issue is really speaking to their heart. I think everybody is trying to find what can I contribute to the solution here.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, if you bring even a small percentage of Americans into a new frame of reference about wanting to be part of the solution, that is transformative. Um, And so that's what really makes me excited about what we're hearing from our audience right now. Well, and I think when I look at this election season,
2: I heard somebody say, we don't have election day anymore. It's election season. and I love that so much. Is a turning away from cynicism. That's what I care about more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. I want people to turn away from the idea that it doesn't matter. I think what people have seen is that it in fact matters deeply and that people can't change, and every and it's all is lost. And I think what you see in those lines and lines of people waiting to vote is just a turning away from that, a turning away from the cynicism, cynicism as an and a turning towards I'm gonna try and I'm gonna be involved. And it might be frustrating and heartbreaking, but in the end, it will be worth it. And in the end, I am needed, um, not because I'm an expert, but because I'm a citizen, and democracies depend on the involvement and the. Enthusiasm of their citizens, of their citizens, and cynicism is really toxic to that. And so, I hope, um, no matter what, that we're seeing people, people turn away from, turn that, away cynicism. from that cynicism.
1: I hope so too. Uh, I've, when, when we're uh, out and talking to people, and and uh, just kind of taking a, a little pulse of of what's going on, because. You know, if you watched the news, you would think that everybody's just at each other's other's throats. But uh, the reality is, is that most Americans are just trying to figure out how to deal with the pandemic. What's real? Mm -hmm. You know, people are scared uh, because uh, because they don't know how this is going to to affect them. Uh, Speaking of coronavirus, like how how will the virus affect them? And you know, they're trying to figure out what do they need to do? How do they protect themselves? How do they protect their children? Uh, with us opening up schools and so many single moms, you know, your demographic is mothers. Are are you hearing a lot of questions about uh, what they should do? What's the responsible thing to do?
0: Our audience has settled into understanding that the pandemic is real. I think members of our audience's audience have had enough individual experiences with COVID to know that it's not something to take lightly. Mm -hmm. My own mother was hospitalized for 15 days with COVID and it still ends up on oxygen.
1: Oh, I'm sorry Um, to hear that. It
0: is a, it is a very intense time and I trust the science that Mm -hmm. social distancing and mask wearing and hand washing are our best ways to protect ourselves. Um, our listeners are worn out with that. They are tired of doing it. They are tired of having to deal with kids at home from school. Um, school not being open has had an incredibly devastating effect on single parents, working parents, parents who are able to work from home, parents who aren't able to work from home. What I think about this all the time. My husband and I are perfectly situated to handle having both of our kids here and it is so hard mm-hmm. it is so draining we are all at the very end of our ropes and we have yeah. so many we, our challenges are so few compared to many of our friends and neighbors. and so I think where our audience is landing is I take these steps not because I'm afraid of getting COVID-19 But because I am part of something bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. And even if I felt comfortable that I could get it and survive it, I would be a drain on my my healthcare providers and they don't need anybody else to take care of right now. Mm -hmm. I would put another obstacle in my family's path. What happens to my kids if I get sick right now? Mm -hmm. What happens to my spouse if I get sick right now? Mm -hmm. We cannot afford another ounce of grief in most of our lives right now. We're just on fumes. And so to us, the only thing we can keep doing is just putting one foot in front of the other, voting like it matters because it does, and taking these simple safety precautions that we're being asked to take. Um, And it, you know, you say simple and people think that that means you're minimizing the gravity of the sacrifice. And I don't mean to do that at all. I understand that even just putting the mask on has a psychological tax associated with it. But as someone who loves a person who's still recovering from COVID, I can tell you that that tax is nothing compared to the trauma of someone in your life going through this in a present way. And losing someone. I mean, it just doesn't have to be the weight on us all that it is because of our failure to follow these guidelines and the vacuum of leadership we've had at the federal level. Um, so let's choose to follow. That's just mm-hmm. my everyday plea. Let's choose to follow.
1: And I, I share your, your everyday plea. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it needs to be a mantra that we all, <laughs> and it, and it feels like looking at the voter turnout that a lot of people feel the same uh-huh. thing. Like, hey uh there there are groups out there like the Lincoln Project uh, that, that have have just basically said, you know what we've got something to say about this uh do you yeah. are you all familiar with the Lincoln project?
2: oh yeah definitely <laughs> and I you know we were talking about it on our show today I said like in what universe is it surprising in what pandemic universe is it surprising that the, a group of senior citizens and women are the ones turning away from our national leadership right now because they are disproportionately affected by that failure of leadership. But that should not be surprising to anyone mm-hmm. with eyes to see in this current environment.
1: And they're probably the most in, uh, amongst the most intense about mm-hmm. uh, about what's happening in the current environment. It's it's been interesting. I, I uh, remember the mantra uh, that that we heard uh, during 2016. Because 2016, everybody thought that it was going to be Hillary Clinton that would be the the president of the United States, and uh, that didn't happen. And you know, we we heard, oh, this is going to be great because we have somebody who's never been uh, yeah um, who who's never been in politics before, so he couldn't possibly get. Uh, to the state that we're in right now. <laughs> no yeah. one no one thought that that was going to happen. Uh, do you think that there could possibly be any sort of upset this time?
0: Well, I think it's hard to know because the polls look like Joe Biden will win this election. I think it's, um, I was reading 538 today and I, I think it was like, 87 out of 100 scenarios Joe Biden wins. But there are still 13 scenarios where Joe Biden loses. And that's what we saw happen in 2016. The odds were about the same at this point in the race. Um, I also think this time we have such a host of factors that we don't know what to make of because we haven't voted in a pandemic before. We haven't, we don't know what all the early voting means for the results. Um, and I hope to just kind of take a breath and realize that Getting to this election from here, the next couple of weeks are going to be taxing. The mm-hmm. race always feels like it's tightening coming into election day. Everything gets very tense. Most of us are not our best selves. <laughs> and the next the next two weeks, the media cycles will be maddening. The conversations we have in our personal lives will be strained. And it will be very hard. And it could be very hard for a couple of days after the election, maybe a week after the election, maybe more than that, as we ensure that votes are counted. We're just facing a situation here that's unlike one we've been in before. It could also be that we know on election night because the result is so overwhelming. It's just, it's very hard to know what we're walking into. Um, My, again, my mantra about this would be, let's all prioritize our democracy. Because getting these results right and Americans having confidence in this election is, that will have ramifications for decades after this election. Mm-hmm. And if we decide we're so invested in one particular outcome or another that we delay um, a peaceful transition of power in some way, that we bring violence to our streets about this, that we tax the court system with challenges, um, that we get into a media frenzy where we talk about how we don't know what's happened here, we could really do some serious long-term damage. And again, like we've got enough of that going on. We don't need to add to it. So I think patience and steadiness are going to be really important for about the next month.
1: And- Thank you, ladies, for coming and for for uh, Zooming with me <laughs> and for for uh, being on, on the record with Tiffany. And we're going to end on that note. And I just want to say to my listeners, these are, are difficult conversations and this is a difficult time. But remember that we are more alike than we are different and we're in this together. So we have to have these conversations if we want to move forward and to be the best United States that we can be. That's that's the key to the phrase, United States. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Have a wonderful day, and thank you, ladies, for being a part of On the Record with Tiffany.
0: You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.